Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm a leader here, and I am excited to open God's Word with you and walk through our principles uh, a bit more. We're in Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1, so turn to that right now. We're going to play a little imagination game this morning. I like doing that. Um, this one's going to take a little bit more of a, a stretch on your part. I want you to imagine that you never made it here this morning because you got arrested. You guys with me? Okay, cool. Anybody's date look a little different now? Probably. Yeah. I want you to imagine that you got arrested on the way here. You didn't commit a real crime. You just kind of got pegged for something, and you're now sitting, and you get your phone call. They give you your phone call. Who would you call? Would you probably call somebody here and say, stop the service, help. <laughs> I'd probably call my wife, and she'd probably fight pretty hard for me. Um, now, imagine this. Imagine if my wife and I were talking on the phone. I'm wondering what's going on. She's wondering what's going on. Imagine while we're talking, figuring out what to do, one of the, our two daughters, two daughters, imagine they start fighting in the background. They're kind of arguing a little bit. Would it make sense if Becky said, okay, hold on a sec, Dan, i got to go handle this thing? Would that make any sense? No, we would say, put on a TV show for the kids. we got big problems to deal with, right? I would think so. I would think that would classify as a huge problem. And I would probably forget about any other smaller problem that I had up to that point. In a manner of speaking, this scenario happened to the Apostle Paul, and yet Paul spent 95% of the phone call caring for his kids. And he was right to do it. Uh, let me explain that. Let me give you a little background. Paul was an apostle. He became a Christian shortly after uh, Jesus uh, died and was raised, and he helped plant a whole bunch of churches, and one of them was in a wealthy town called Philippi. And the church supported Paul's ministry from the beginning, which was likely about 10 years. So they were pretty good friends. You've probably been friends with some people here for about 10 years. Paul then left the church for a missions trip, and at some point he was put under house arrest for no good reason. And uh, what happened then after that was, meanwhile, he hears, he gets word that this Philippian church, his friends, they're fighting a bit. They're arguing. They have a little bit of disunity. There's some, there's some bad teaching that's kind of crept in. And uh, so Paul, under arrest, writes them a letter, and his highest priority is helping them. Helping them. The explanation of why, I think, is this. Because Paul understood grace. He knew that God was so big and so good that uh, so his situation, as tense as it was, wasn't really a big deal. No big deal to be in jail for Paul. Right in chapter 1 of the letter, in fact, verse 12, Paul says, I know what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He uses his imprisonment to witness to the guards that are set over him, that are preventing him from leaving. 
Jail was not a big problem. But he looks to his dear church, his friends, and he sees them fighting, he sees them missing the point, and he sees the real problem. They needed to understand how to fellowship together because they weren't doing it. And so Paul disciples them by letter under arrest. By doing this, Paul has modeled fellowship. He has humbly served the church despite his own suffering. He's thinking about the whole mission, not just his problem. And uh, his motivation for doing this is Jesus. That's his motivation. That's fellowship, so that's pretty much your outline for today. Serving one another as Christ served us. Our church believes this. We believe in Jesus' work so much that it revolutionizes the way we work together. Think about every commercial you've ever seen with like a diverse blend of people and they're all like holding hands and looking to the future. We actually think that that's possible, but it's through Jesus. We actually think you can live like that, but it's through Jesus' work and not us. Our church principle and fellowship says this, we assume that any believer in Christ who regularly attends our fellowship wants to be part of our body and under the authority of our elders. We are a tight-knit fellowship committed to serving God together. As we look not only to our own interests, but also the interests of others, we care for each other. We also call every member to actively labor in the church. Because the ministry of the church occurs through all of our members, the spiritual growth and maturity of each member is key. As a fellowship, we are banded together to humbly help each member grow into mature disciples of Christ. That's real unity, and Paul wanted that. So we want it too, because that's what God wants. In fact, Paul wanted it more than his own freedom. You hear that? Think about that arrest scenario. Paul wanted genuine church fellowship more than he wanted to get out of jail. And so let's learn more about the reality of fellowship as we pick up in the middle of this letter that Paul is writing to his friends. We're in Philippians chapter 2 again, where Paul is going to call the church to humbly serve one another as Christ has served them. That's point one in the outline. We're going to tackle humbly serve each other first, and we're going to connect it to Jesus. So I'm going to read the first four verses of, uh, of Philippians chapter 2. Here we go. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we look around, we see each other, and the question has to be asked, what does it mean for people to serve each other? Because you may have been to some very nice churches in your life. Is it that? Let's just start in verse 2. Paul says this, to be 
of the same mind. That's what Paul's saying is the core of what's getting at serving one another. I mean, that seems pretty clear, and just in case you weren't sure it was clear, Paul kind of repeats himself. To have that same love, to be in one accord, to have one mind. That seems pretty clear, but is it really feasible? Because to a lot of people, if you're a visitor here, if you're kind of new to church, those words might not be very sweet. In fact, you might have grown up in a church and those words might not be very sweet. Because to a lot of people, to have one mind is a claustrophobic way to live. I was an art major. That was a bad word to be like thinking like other people. Because we live in a very individualistic society, don't we? We live in a very individualistic society. You ever hear of the phrase sheeple? Anybody? People on the internet, like super regular, they might know what I'm talking about. Sheeple is like you're a sheep, but you're a person. It's kind of this group mentality. You're just kind of following whatever. It's not a compliment, by the way. It's usually given to people who are religious by people who are not religious. Is that what Paul is calling us to do? No. The mission is found in verse 3 and 4. Here's what it looks like to be of one mind practically. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Keep reading. Count others as more significant than yourself. Keep reading. Look to the interests of others. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. You are small, but you are small. But the picture he's painting is this. You are part of a living, active, breathing, working body. That's what fellowship and serving one another looks like. You're part of a big body. That's what the church is. It's an analogy that Paul used in another letter. And it might seem like bad news even when I paint it that way to you because, I don't know about you, but it's hard to celebrate being small. Who wants to be a pinky finger in the body of life? But... I would argue that it's actually good news when you think about it. So I'm going to illustrate. I went to the doctor some time ago because the whole left side of my back hurt. Anybody ever over like 30 know what I'm talking about? You just kind of wake up and it's like, oh, this half doesn't work. Great. <laughs> the doctor, see people who are like 50 are like, you have no idea. <laughs> people who are 70 is like, you have no idea. <laughs> so I go to the doctor, the whole left side of my back hurts. And the doctor took a look at me, kind of checked me out, and he pointed to like one small area of my upper back, and he said, you tweak this muscle here, and all the muscles around it are fighting to try to help it out. That's why you hurt. That's the church. When one body part hurts, every body part around it says, let's help. And that hurts, Right? You ever volunteer to help somebody when you yourself are in the middle of hurting? That hurts. When one body part hurts, we all help it heal, even if it makes us hurt. Why? Because we're a body. Practically, we'll sacrifice things like time. We'll sacrifice things like money. We'll sacrifice things like rest. 
We give up our freedoms because we want the whole body to work well. The world has no idea how to do this because they love being individualistic. They love it. Now, there are a ton of possible applications here. I mean, there's so many ways this could apply to a church, but I'm going to point out three right here in this church. And here's the thing. Since we're so different, I would like for you to imagine some more, a few scenarios with me. It's going to take a little work. For some of you, this will take a lot of work. For some of you, this will take very little work. Imagine first having children. For some of you, this is not a stretch. So, if you don't have children, just imagine babysitting, but then remove the part where you get paid and you get to go home at the end. (laughs) Imagine that all week, every week. It's a joy, but it's hard work. Imagine that all week, every week. Now imagine at the end of the week, you go to church. And you are desperate to talk to other adults. And you keep your children with you during the service. Because you're trying to teach them to stay still. You don't even have a free hand to take notes. Just imagine that. You don't have kids. Or just look around. <laughs> Do that. And uh, now imagine that afterwards, though, there's a Sunday school program and there's a nursery and you can drop off your children in good faith that they will be taught very good things from people who love your kids while you can drink coffee, you can catch some time with other people in a group and you can process, digest, remember chunks about the sermon that you forgot because you were chasing babies. What a relief that is to have a Sunday school and a nursery available. If you don't have children, you can provide that relief to a parent simply by serving in a Sunday school or a nursery for like an hour a week. Church, do you see how you can help the body around you? Here's the second scenario. Imagine you're a student. For some of you, this will not be a stretch. Imagine you are new to campus, or the semester has started again. You don't know many people. Or, maybe the university changed your schedule, or your dorm, and you kind of feel alone, you're kind of trying to make new friends, you miss your family, or your family life is kind of a mess, and you don't even know how to do the family thing. Now, imagine that a nice family at your church invites you over after the service, and they cook. And they welcome you into their house. And they talk to you. And they ask you questions about yourself. And they pray with you. And they send you home with the rest of that pie. (laughs) And they don't just do it once. No, they don't just do it once. This is not a one-time write-off. This is not their good deed for the month. They keep doing it. And over months and years, without even realizing it, you get a front row seat of a godly family. You become a new person. You probably change the type of person you want to marry based on this interaction. What a blessing. You, church, can provide that blessing to a student simply by cooking a little extra food, or in some cases, a lot of extra food, and just invite them into the mess. Just invite them over. Don't even clean up first. Be honest. Don't clean up first. 
Now, in light of those two huge opportunities to serve, church, here's one more. I think it's actually an area we can grow in. We have among us a number of very wonderful single women, and some of them have kids at home. Some of them are empty nesters. God has worked in them in some amazing ways. And you can learn a lot from them. You can invite them over for dinner. You can adopt them during the holidays. You, church, can be a blessing to the whole body. All it takes is the willingness in all these examples to do what? Consider others first. You're not thinking about, oh, but I really wanted to drink that coffee and be in a small group. No, I'm going to serve a parent. I really, really wanted to, like, not have people, I kind of wanted to just sit there on a Sunday afternoon. No, no, I have a college student over here. I really, you know, I didn't want to reach out. You know, I'm just not sure about, you know, it might be kind of weird. Nope, do it. I think it's a huge area for us to serve. But here's the thing. And I don't want to blame you for having those thoughts to say, you know, I'm not sure about this. And, you know, this might be kind of hard. Because you know what? These applications can get pretty messy when you dive in. The serving in Sunday school is not super easy. It's not always super easy. We have great kids, but yeah, there is a lot of, there's some chasing going on. Adopting a college student takes effort because they might have different perspectives about life than you do. You might invite them in and here's stuff you might be, you know, you might be, I don't, I don't know about that. Single women might have gone through experiences that you can't relate to, or you think you can't relate to. But here's the thing. The mess of people working together and loving one another gives that much more glory to Jesus. Because he unites radically different people. We don't have to look alike or sound alike to love God together. And here's where the news is going to get even better. Because when we humbly serve one another, we don't just give glory, glory to Jesus, we actually start to look like it. Because he's our perfect example of humble service. So most of what I'm going to do in the second point is just brag on Jesus a whole bunch. So point two is, as Christ served you, I'm just going to connect what we just said back to Jesus. I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves... Paul writes, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's just look at how Jesus is serving here. Let's see how he's kind of set up the model. First look at verse 6. Jesus was in the form of God. But he did not count equality as a thing to be grasped. Friends, please do not blow past that verse because it's so easy if you were born in a church. Just think for a moment. What kind of rights did Jesus have? Like, what kind of rights? What's he allowed to do? 
Whatever. Do whatever he wants. He has all of them. He made rights. Why would Jesus give them up? It's because humility is not a human invention. We didn't come up with it. But look at how much farther Jesus goes in verse 7. Let's look, let's see what it looks like to give up those rights. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, keep reading, in the likeness of man. In other words, Jesus didn't just give up his rights to be king. He didn't just give up his rights as king of the universe to be a servant. He gave up his right to remain in heaven to come here. Look at what he exchanged it for. Look at, look at it. He became a baby. He became a baby. Babies need a lot of help. How do you go from the king of the universe to the baby? To the guy that's like, go serve in a nursery so you can watch Jesus. <laughs> and as verse 8 adds, he exchanged it to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. And again, don't blow past that one if you were raised in a church. Because the most, the cross was the most humiliating death in the Roman Empire. He didn't just die of old age. The cross was designed to completely destroy a person inside and out. To go from perfection in heaven to that. It would have been humble enough for Jesus to simply come down here and look around a bit. It would have been humble enough for him to do that. But love drove him to do more. It drove him to come here and die for us. So how then should we respond to that? How do you respond to that kind of humility? It means the main way we glorify Jesus is to live like him. To be humble as he was. And that means we can let go of our rights too. This is going to get a little hard for some of you. Let's reconsider that prison scenario. Paul witnessed to the guards set over him. You know why I did that? He didn't do it because they were preventing his mission. He didn't do it because he wanted to get out and make it to church so he could preach. They were his mission. Everything was an opportunity for the gospel to go first. For the gospel to go forward, even in the middle of a mess. The mess itself is an opportunity. So you don't need to clean your life up to serve Jesus. And even more so, we don't need rights for the gospel to go forth. The church at Philippi was wealthy. Don't you think Paul could have crowdfunded a way out of there? He knew people. But instead, he discipled the church while he was under arrest. You don't do that unless you just kind of give up your rights. I don't need those. This is bigger than those rights. Paul was modeling the very servanthood he was calling them to just by writing the letter. So the question is this, what rights do you cling to? Since we talked about Jesus giving up his status as king of the universe to come down here, and the, the, the and he gave up the comforts of heaven to be a, a human who died, I'm going to talk about respect, and I'm going to talk about comfort. Those are the two rights I'm going to hit on. 
Let's first talk about the right to be respected. Maybe you're passionate about winning arguments. You know, you always got to get that last word in. Maybe you're passionate about fishing for compliments. Have you ever do that? You usually don't even know you're doing it if you get really good. You just kind of like, oh, you like my shoes? Or, you know, you always need compliments from people or you're crushed by their feedback. Somebody says something bad, your day is shot. That's what I'm talking about. Maybe you're passionate about being at the top of your class. Maybe you only like serving in public settings. And uh, the idea of, you know, there's ways you can serve here, but you think, nah, you know, that's beneath me. I don't do that. If any of those sound like you, this is what you're doing. The body is running toward the goal. This is the church. They're running toward the goal. And you're like a thumb or something. And you say, stop! Stop! Look at me! Look at me! That's what you're saying. The body's trying to run, and you're saying, me! And so the body parts around you will stop you from doing that foolish thing. And it will hurt. But if they don't, body parts around that person doing that foolish thing, if they don't, they will eventually join in, and the whole body's going to stop running. That's what's going to happen. So the application for you, if that's you, if respect is kind of that right that you cling to, be humbled for the glory of Jesus. I, I knew a girl who was a straight-A student. That was kind of her identity. And she put this application into practice by investing more in her neighbors and she took the B in her class. That doesn't sound like a big deal for you if you're a B student, but if you're a straight-A student, that's a big deal. She stopped making it about her and the people around her, guess what? Started to see Jesus in her. Not just because she had more time. They saw it in her. And besides, you know, as you know, if, if you've been around here for a while, you know that the world's respect is fickle and it doesn't last. You know you can't please everybody. You don't need to dominate arguments. You don't need validation from people. You don't need straight A's. You can have them, but you don't find your identity there. Why? Because Jesus has validated you before God. So you don't need it from anybody else. Give up those rights to serve. Second one, how about the right to comfort? Oh, America, man. I'm telling you. This is this, this one, this is this is deep. You worship food. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're you're always talking about that next meal that you're gonna plan. Or you turn to it to feel better. I'm talking about bad day, ice cream. Mm-hmm. You turn to it to feel better, but it just kind of destroys your body. And if you're young, you might not see that yet. Your metabolism might get away, you know, might help you think you're getting away from that, but it, it doesn't last. Or uh, are you are you lazy? Maybe you only volunteer here if somebody asks you, begs you to help. Fine, I'll do it. Or do you resist the idea of discipling people or yourself being discipled? No, I'm not that bad. I haven't committed any major sins. Life's going okay. I don't need that. If that sounds like you, this is what you're doing. The body is trying to run toward the goal, and you're afoot, and you're just kind of 
dragging. Bonnie's trying to run, and you're like, stop! It's not worth it. That's what you're saying. The goal is not worth running hard. The goal being Jesus, of course. And so the body parts around you will help stop you from doing that foolish thing. <laughs> Did you, you read Philippians? Get to work. They'll help you. We do it because we love you. And if they don't, they'll eventually join in and the whole body's just going to stop running. They'll adopt a culture of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, we're getting to it. You know, the city's okay. Country's okay. It's not that bad. Just stop running. Your application is to get hungry and sore for the glory of Jesus. Fast and pray before the Lord. Have you ever fasted? Make him the meal that you can't wait for. Make Jesus the meal that you can't wait for. And that's going to take a while because for some of us, our bodies and our minds have been so conditioned to get what we want that it's going to feel like you're killing yourself by skipping one meal. That's how much we're just hooked on it. But if you fight, you can break your body of that. Fast and pray before the Lord. Make Him the meal that you can't wait for. Make Him your motivation to work. Because heaven is where the true rest is. Because that's where Jesus is. Every day is just preparation for eternity there, dear Christian. He makes us run to Him. He helps us. That's the payoff of the last three verses. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Laying down our rights means we can not only live in fellowship with one another, but we can actually reach the world. Anybody feel like that's kind of a big mission? Reaching this city? Like reaching this city even. Forget the world. Reaching state college. Reaching your block. That seemed like a big deal? Yeah, I think, I think so. That's why we fellowship. That's why we humbly serve one another so that we can run hard together. And that's why our fellowship principle states if you're a Christian, and you're showing up here, we assume you want to be led and discipled. That is not claustrophobia. We know you're not supposed to be trying to do this alone. Don't wait until you've made decades of hard choices to figure that out. Get it in now. This is Grace Fellowship Church. This is what we believe. When we die to ourselves, when we serve one another, seeking discipleship, Offering discipleship. We aren't just nice people. We are a body that glorifies God. When you serve in the nursery or Sunday school, you glorify God. When you host a student, you adopt them into their family, you glorify God. When you care for a single mom, you glorify God. When you help set up coffee, or you work the sound system, or you serve behind the scenes on any number of the church teams, or pass out handouts, and on and on and on, 
you glorify God. That's fellowship. We humbly serve one another as Jesus sent us. Every day of every week, we get to practice that. So let's keep it up. Let's pray. Dear God, fellowship is is hard work because we are so broken. I feel like so often where we use our, our weakness as an excuse to pull away, but God, we're a body by identity. We're knit together by you. So in weakness, as we struggle, you can then draw near instead of pushing. Lord, even as we hear these words, even as we consider in our, our small groups afterwards the implications in our lives, Lord, would you help us to fight to realize that fellowship is possible and it's possible because of you. We thank you so much that you gave up comfort, you gave up respect, you came down to earth and you died so that we could be knitted together to you forever. Lord, we thank you that this church is just practicing for eternity. Would you help us to remember that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? Would you help us to grow in the area of fasting, praying, serving? Help us to think with the idea, what can I do to serve? Amen.